Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your love, the light that you bring into this world. And I pray, God, that as we uh, dive into another conversation, another uh, topic around your word, I pray that your spirit would guide and lead us so that we could see you more fully, see you uh, clearer in the midst of difficult conversations. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Americans uh, tend to use the term politics as a slush term, uh, meaning that uh, it's a broad term, uh, usually referring to negative uh, actions and policies that are being put into place in Washington, D.C. For example, when we talk about politics, uh, we might typically think right away about those awkward conversations over barbecues, over the 4th of July, when all of a sudden we start talking about policies and issues and things that uh, we don't necessarily like talking about. But if you were to look at the word politics, uh, it comes from a Greek word, politica, which simply means affairs of the cities. Politics simply refers to the matters of governance and social order of a state. So when people speak negatively regarding, to, uh, regarding politics, they're usually intending to reference partisanship or partisan politics. When we talk about the negative understanding of politics, we're referring to these two parties typically that cause all sorts of divide amongst us as people. For example, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here this morning. That would not prove my point, all right? For example, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? Are you for a wall or are you against a wall? This is typically, when we think about politics, what we are thinking of. And today, we're going to... Uh, start a new series that is a continuation from our You Pick series. Remember on Easter, we gave you those 15 different topics, and this discussion was the top vote winner to talk about politics. What does it mean to be a Christian in our political uh, world that we live in today? And so we're calling this series, One Nation Under God, question mark. And through these weeks, what we're going to be discussing are uh, these topics. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven, but still be a citizen of the United States? Can we be patriotic and proud of our country, and yet remember that our first allegiance is to God? And today, how does a Christian deal with the hostility that seems to weave its way through politics and in our country today? Today, what I really want to focus on is something incredibly important. 
In fact, I'm really happy that you're here today because I believe that today, I hope, is going to shape our conversation over the next four weeks. Because I want to begin with something God cares more about than your political preference. Say this again. I want to begin with something that God cares more about than your political preference, which is simply this. How we treat each other matters, especially when we don't agree. And I want to begin with a challenge, but before that, I want to tell a little story. In 2008, uh, Gretchen and I were living in this small little town called Defiance, Ohio. Anybody heard of Defiance, Ohio before? All right, a couple people. Um, If you've watched the show Scandal before, this is like one of the cities that's a really important city. I'm not gonna have you raise your hand if you've watched Scandal before, all right? But but in the show, uh, it is uh, talking about the political debates and things that go on. And Defiance, Ohio is known as a place that's important for any major political candidate that's running for president visits Defiance, Ohio, a tiny little town of about 15,000 people. And so in 2008, John McCain and Barack Obama were both running to be president of the United States, and they both came to this tiny little town of Defiance, where Gretchen and I were. And it was interesting because when both of them came into town, they went to very similar locations. They went to the old downtown, you've probably never been there before, in Defiance off of Old Clinton Road. And if you were to go to Defiance today off of Clinton Road in this downtown area, there is this uh, old movie theater that has a marquee over it, uh, kind of something similar to this. And before we got there, there was a church who had purchased this movie theater and were meeting in that movie theater every single week. And they were known as a church that would tend to have these really clever slogans that would grab your attention. And when John McCain and Barack Obama both came to Defiance, Ohio, this church on that marquee put in the background as these conversations are happening and as these powerful political conversations are happening, you see these words hanging above this movie church that says simply this. Vote for the Bible. And truthfully, I had no idea what they meant. Like, that makes no sense to me. Like, in some sense, I get it, but like, what do you mean that we should vote for the Bible? That we should write in the Bible for President of the United States of America? good candidate, that doesn't seem like a wise choice, or we should have like some Bible trivia to see which candidate knows the most about the Bible. No, I, I think that this becomes confusing to me because the Bible emphasizes all kinds of things, and especially in our world when we talk about politics and we have major parties that put emphasis into certain things over others, it's not as simple to just say, I'm going to write in the Bible. In fact, today, the challenge that I want to give us is is better than that slogan. It's better than just voting for the Bible. I think that if we were to take this challenge seriously, our country would be better. 
I really think that if we were to take this challenge seriously, we would really change the dynamic of what our political hostility looks like inside of our United States of America. And the challenge is this. My challenge to us would be to put your faith ahead of your politics. As a result, to be a peacemaker. See, to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus first, and then a Republican or Democrat second. Now, the reason I can say this, so the reason I would bring this up is because I've learned in my own few short years of experience and knowing other people as well, that, that when you die, you don't go to Washington, D.C. And in fact, as people are breathing their last breaths, I've never met somebody who has said, could you please read for me the United States Constitution one last time so that I can hear it? I think that we recognize that there's something bigger going on than our politics. But, but hear me on this, though. What I'm not saying is this. What I'm not saying is that you shouldn't have an opinion when it comes to politics. No, have an opinion. You should speak that opinion. In fact, you have a right and a duty to vote. So do that very thing. I'm also telling you that it's okay to get fired up about politics and to get passionate about things. And I'm not saying that we should all just sing kumbaya and agree on every political thing that exists inside of our world, nor will you ever hear me stand up here and tell you that you have to vote for this candidate, and if you don't, you're not a follower of Jesus. That is not what I'm saying. But each political view can be justified by the Bible. Whether Republican or Democrat, it's not enough to say Bible first, politics second. No matter where you stand, you can find something in the Bible that supports your viewpoint. And you can also find something that challenges your viewpoint as well. And this is important to understand. Jesus didn't come to earth to take a side. He didn't come wearing an American t-shirt saying that I'm officially signed up with the Republicans or the Libertarians or the Democrats. Jesus instead came to take over. To say that there's something bigger going on here. And to get this right, that requires us to further read the words of Jesus, to dive into how he treated people, all people. And it's important for us to lean in on his actions and what he did. So our challenge for today is simply this, to put your faith ahead of your politics, to be a peacemaker. And I want to like lean into that statement that Jesus says to be a peacemaker. This comes from Matthew chapter five. We read these words, verse nine. In a sermon that Jesus was giving in what is known as the Beatitudes, he says this, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. 
what in the world does that even mean? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? I'll give you three things here. The first one is this. At the heart of God is to bring shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. This is important. At the very heart of who God is, is that he desires for there to be peace in this world. There's two ways that this functions. One way is this inner peace that we feel. That God desires for each of us to experience this inner peace, this connection with him that that life's purpose and meaning seems to make sense. But at the same time, it's not just some like inner peace that I hide, but it's something that I show to the world as well. It's an outward peace also. Something that should affect the world around us. In fact, that word peace, shalom, probably that word doesn't fully get in, in, it defined by that word peace. But what it means is this complete wholeness. In fact, we read these words that Jesus said of his people, continuing on with that message, that you should be salt and light. That's how his people should be described in this world. Salt and light to this world. Salt is something that doesn't have a flavor of its own, but brings out the flavor that it is a part of and light in the midst of of our darkness. We are these things to this world and should be these things toward each other, especially to those who have opposing views to us. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that you should be poison and darkness in this world, but instead to be salt and light. And this is the primary goal of who our God is, the God that we come to worship and celebrate here today. His primary goal is to bring peace into this world. This is the reason that Jesus came into the world. He didn't come to just like give us some cool teachings and say, hey, try to do those and then leave. The reason he came was to be the sacrifice, to be the peace offering for us so that those who would believe in him would receive eternal life and experience life to the full here, now, in this place to bring peace between God and all people to make things right. But if you've read your Bible before, you've maybe heard these words from Jesus. Like, well, yeah, he talked about peace and stuff like that, but didn't he say something about, like, bringing a sword? Well, very good. You've read your Bible. Matthew 10, verse 34, it says this. Jesus said these words. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, not come to bring peace, but a sword. All right, pastor, how do you deal with that one, dude? Well, yeah, it seems as if these are very contradicting things, but be careful here. The primary thing that God wants there to be is wholeness, completeness. That is what his mission is moving towards. And when you read Matthew chapter 10 in the context that it was written, Jesus gathers a group of disciples and he says, I want you to go and share this message of good news to all. He sends out his disciples 
even while Jesus is there, he sends them out and he says that you are called to tell this message that the kingdom of God is at hand, a message of peace. That is what you're called to bring. And then, as a result of sharing this message, there will be division. People will not want to hear this message. Jesus is saying that the primary goal is to bring peace. But because of brokenness in our world, that message of peace can be turned into division. Which leads to the second thing about being a peacemaker is this, that peacemakers have differing opinions around them. Think about this for a second. If Jesus calls us to be a peacemaker, that means that we have to have differing opinions around us. For peace to be brought, there has to be conflict. And, and if you think that that's some ideal, that how in the world could you do that? Well, Jesus was a great example of this for us. In fact, when you look at Jesus's disciples, the same people that he sent out, when he called them together, there's two people in particular that for the common person during that time would have been like, how in the world does this group even work? Because there were two guys, Matthew, who was called a tax collector, and Simon, who was known as a zealot. Two political parties that were together working towards a mission. See, a tax collector was somebody who worked for the government. They were in favor of big government. And a zealot was someone who worked against the government. Someone who was in favor of small government. See, we see even in Jesus' group of disciples, this political anxiety and stress that would have existed, yet they could be together. My hope and prayer for this church would be that. That this wouldn't be just a place where, well, this is only a spot where Republicans can be. Or only a spot where Democrats can be. It would be just as stupid as if we made you roll up your pants every single Sunday you showed up to church. No, it's important for us to have experiencing this diversity that exists even in our political thought and not just having echo chambers around us. Which leads to the third thing here. Peacemakers are not passive, but they pursue peace. And they pursue it for all. I love how the psalmist says it. In Psalm 34 verse 14 says this, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We read that peace, according to God, is not just something that we pray for. Well, we should do that. But it is something that we pursue as well. That we go in, in relationship with people. We pursue peace. 
and understanding for all. We might be saying, all right, cool. Thanks for talking about peacemakers. Didn't expect that one today. Um, this is really hard to live out. Because every time I see some political figure on TV, or every time I show up at a family event, I get really anxious and I hate these kinds of conversations. How in the world do I even take baby steps towards this? Well, I'll pray for you and we'll talk again next week. No, I'm kidding. That's not how we're going to leave this, all right? I want to give you a couple of like practical things that I think are really helpful for us, questions to be asked. But I want to begin with this like simple simple understanding that might be profound. Your behavior makes perfect sense to you. You ever thought about this before? Your behavior makes perfect sense to you. Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. Your political views make sense to you. Everybody's political views make sense to them. When you don't know how somebody could do such a thing, how somebody could support such a thing, how somebody could have a viewpoint in a certain way, it's because you don't know something that they know. The problem is that you don't know yet how they have gotten to where they are. And it's important for us to begin as a student and not a critic. Because if you can't learn something new, that's a you problem, not necessarily a political problem. And so I wanna begin with three practical questions that I really believe that if we were to follow Jesus seriously, it would lead us to be more confident and curious and composed and to be more compassionate, especially in the midst of difficult conversations. The first one is this. The first question to ask, what led you to hold that view? In the midst of a really difficult conversation or opposing views, try asking this. What has led you to hold that viewpoint? See, when we get in debates with people, typically what happens is we get like the caboose of the thought train. You know what I'm saying? Like we see the very end conclusion of how somebody has gotten there. But we don't know all of the background of how somebody got to that very place. And when you ask that question and you begin to see that this isn't just something that they heard from somebody else, but it's something that they've experienced firsthand, it changes your perspective on the issue and the person that is in front of you. So begin by asking the question, what led you to hold that view? It helps us to see that we are people before our policies. The second practical question that I would love to bring forward is this. Have you always held this view? I think this is an important question to ask. How, not only 
how, like what led you to get here, but have you ever <laughs> thought about it from the other perspective? Have you ever taken the time to wonder how somebody could see this in a completely different perspective than you? Our compassion becomes greater when we all of a sudden try to, as best as we can, see it from another perspective. And where we have a space where we can be honest about those differences. And the third question is a little snarky, and I hope you don't lead with this one, but I think it's valuable, is this. I get most of my information from the media. How about you? I think this is important for us to understand. That we live in a world that we already could identify based on the channel that you watch or get your news from where your political leanings are. And we're ignorant to believe that they are not trying to shape an agenda behind everything that they do. Could we just acknowledge that that is happening all around us? And the information that we're getting sometimes can be very true and real, but also at other times can be marginal and filled with all political discourse. See, what matters most is people. What matters most is people. And in order to put our faith before our politics, we need to see people in the midst of these conversations as well. So, in conclusion, just a couple of things. Number one, what I am saying is that you should have a political opinion. Like, if we're friends on Facebook and all of a sudden you're like, man, I gotta delete some posts that I put up a while back. That's not what I'm saying. Have a political opinion. You have a right to do that, and you should do that. I'm also saying that you should argue your point. You should lean into these conversations. In fact, people who disagree with you, they need to hear your perspective on that. But I would caution you this, the third thing. Never make a point at the expense of influence. I think it's important to recognize that when we enter into these conversations that are filled with emotions and all kinds of baggage, it's important that we don't fight for the things that really don't always matter. It's important that we recognize the influence that we have on people and how we interact in the midst of difficult conversations, especially when somebody doesn't agree with us, really does matter. Because imagine, imagine if you have somebody in your life that you politically just don't agree with. 
and, and they are in the midst of a trial, a season in their life that is horrific and has nothing to do with their stance on the wall or women's rights or anything like that. And they look at you and say, I can't go to that person because they don't believe the same political agenda that I believe. That would be horrific to me to think. And in fact, I would argue that as Christians, we should be certainly engaged in politics, but never at the point of where what we do says, I hate you. But we're willing to say and show and lean in on issues and things that are challenging and tough. My prayer today would be that we would see that Jesus put people ahead of a political viewpoint. This is the example that he shows us. And my hope for us today, as we begin this series and looking into another difficult conversation, that we would check our heart, that we're not called to fear, but to bring peace and light, to be a voice of hope and mercy in this world. Because what God desires for us to be is salt and light in this world. And when we do this, and when we do this well, we see a little more of how Jesus loves us and how he taught us to love each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who is one who desires for all people to experience the peace that you bring through your son, Jesus. And God, that is a beautiful statement, but incredibly messy. And so Lord, we have much to repent of, of times where we've attached your kingdom to one side or another. I pray God that in the midst a political conversation in the midst of uh, just political discourse that is happening all around us, that we would be so bold to see people, to not just see agendas and views, but, but to see people. God, may we lean into those conversations. May we balance that wisdom of sharing our hearts and sharing what we've experienced, yet also willing to learn and listen. And may we be willing to just embrace the messiness of your love as you so beautifully showed even in your 12 disciples. I pray that we too would be a living example of what it looks like to love more like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.